It's time for episode 405 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's on time performance is 99.9999999%. We're always on time. My name is Dan Morin, and I'm joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy, Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I am doing well, Dan. Uh, I'm happy that. Uh, that are you our reading off, an, off like some sort of like teleprompter? <laughs> I am doing well, Dan. Excellent. <laughs> Seamless. Uh, I may be, yes. <laughs> Uh, well, this is the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to talk about four tech topics. To my left this week, it's the CEO and l- chief lackey of Rogue Amoeba. It's Paul Cafasis. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. Did I get a promotion, though? Because it's actually just lackey. I so, know. I, I decided to bump you up there. You I bumped you me decided, up. All right. After all these years, you deserve to be the chief lackey. Thank you. And to my left, it is a reporter at the Washington Post, as well as, according to uh, her Twitter bio, a hopscotch enthusiast. It's Heather Kelly. Welcome back to the show, Heather. Thank you for having me. This is a delight. All right. I'm going to kick things off. Uh, my question is, how much do you still rely on email is it more of a necessary evil do you really use it a lot do you get a lot out of it and if what tools if any do you use to help you deal with it paul so this is an interesting question to me because i I think it reflects an attitude that a lot of people have but i actually really like email Uh, i don't get too much email i get a, a fair amount of email but i use it constantly it's my preferred mode of communication for as much as it can be it's way better than a phone call phone calls are gross uh, so I use email all the time. Uh, I'd say my email usage dropped probably about uh, six years ago when our company moved over to Slack. So we send a lot fewer emails for work. But in terms of communicating with pretty much anyone that I can, I want to use email because the asynchronous nature of it means I can write something, send it and get a reply hours or days later and deal with it then. Uh, so I don't know. I really like it. I use a bunch of spam filtering. I use some automated filtering in mail.app. And I am unapologetic about clicking the unsubscribe button on any sort of emails that, you know, I don't want to be getting. So it works for me. I don't, but I'm interested to hear what other people think besides, uh, obviously, your, your question has a little bit of a slant to it that I, uh, I go the other <laughs> way on. Uh, I use SparkMail as my mail client. I used AirMail for a long time um, and made the switch to Spark at some point now. I don't remember. Uh, And Spark works for me in terms of uh, sorting the mail how I need it and me getting what I need. I'm also unapologetic about that unsubscribe button. Um, Hit it all the time. And I, I don't really use email a lot for communication. Email is mostly the place where... I am getting, um, you know, notifications for uh, different sites and accounts and whatnot. Um, but there is still some work stuff that happens there. Most of it is in Slack. Um, and I have a feeling this was sparked, prompted, uh, brought up because of your use of uh, big mail. And I also have been testing that out and it's been interesting. Uh, I don't think it will be my mail app of choice either, though. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, tools, mostly Spark. What about you, Heather? When you said big mail, I thought you were talking about like the mail industry. Yeah, like big, big mail. mail. Big <laughs> mail. I'm on big mail's <laughs> payroll, let me tell you. 
Um, I am not. I loathe email. I assume any email is one day going to end up in a deposition. And so <laughs> I keep them short and boring. Um, it's one of three ways Dan will try and ask me to go on the show. And, you know, one of them usually works. <laughs> but, but all my personal communications at this point are in, you know, a messaging app of some kind or my mom leaving me a voicemail. <laughs> Wow, well, that's old school. Uh, my mom actually emails mostly now, which is, yeah, that's, it's very cute. Um, yeah, as Mike alluded, I was trying out Big Mail, which is sort of a new mail client that is trying, like so many have before, to reinvent the idea of mail. And I think there are elements of email that can be improved. Like you guys mentioned unsubscribing a lot. And I I go on like spates where I do that. And I try to like unsubscribe from all the lists I've ended up on. And invariably, there are always more. And I trace this all back to the time when I was still a young freelancer. I started out and I didn't have a work email address. And I put my personal address into a CES press list. Oh, that will no. haunt me to my grave. <laughs> I am never getting off that um so the worst um but yeah i think that what's interesting to me about and what i liked about big mail was the approach of feeling like i want to check my email less right like and that the stuff that's there when i go to check my email should only be stuff that i actually care about um and of course you know if you can unsubscribe from enough lists so that you really have winnowed it down to just the stuff you care about that's great but if you you know if for all the problems we have with that and there are lots of places that are not exactly scrupulous about respecting unsubscribe emails for example uh it can be a struggle and so i think leveraging stuff like ai and machine learning to help sort of winnow that out more whether you know just spam filtering that we already have or just sort of more selective uh, categorization of emails i think that's all to the good i i don't think big mail is quite it for me i'm a long time mail.app user on pretty much every apple platform but i like the direction it's heading and i hope it sort of spurs on some more ideas for sort of reinventing how we deal with email because i'm not opposed to it i like paul says i like the sort of asynchronous nature of it and i conduct a lot of work and personal uh communication with it so it's it's not bad but i think it could be improved but thank you all for your thoughts on that let's go to our second topic today which comes from paul so Shortcuts is coming to the Mac. It's been on iOS for a couple of years now. Uh, and I'm curious, how do you folks, if at all, use Shortcuts on your iPhone? Uh, are you using it? And, and what are you using? Uh, what are you doing with it? Uh, for me, I am. Uh, I do use a little bit on iOS, not a whole lot, um, but some of the shortcuts that I have set up have to do with kind of record tracking um, and home automation stuff. So I've got different... Um, different tags around uh, some on, uh, for example, uh, medication that I take. And so if I tap my phone on the top, then it goes ahead and checks it off of my to-do list um, for the day so that I can always make sure that I have not only that I've taken my medicine, but that later, whenever I go, did I take it? I can see, yes, Micah, you did. You took it. It's fine. Um, but I don't do a whole lot of the the big ones uh, that that some folks do. Um, one that I use pretty regularly. It's just a, a, an app icon essentially, where when I tap it, it takes me into the section of uh, the settings app called Display and Brightness Auto Lock. And the reason I need that is because every Friday I do a show called iOS Today where um, my co-host Rosemary Orchard and I talk about different apps and things like that that we can use on our iPhones and iPads. And I need my screens not to auto lock while I'm doing the show. And then afterward, I can go back into that setting and turn it off again. I would completely automate it if I could, but I can't. Uh, As for shortcuts on the Mac, I use Text Expander and Keyboard Maestro and... um, automator on the Mac all the time. So having shortcuts there um, will 
I assume actually increase the uh, my usage of of shortcuts in general because it'll be the the new tool for automation there. What about you, Heather? I use exactly one shortcut. When I triple tap on the logo on the back of my phone, it will open up photos and make a GIF of usually a child doing something silly, and that's it. Um, nice. It's not shortcuts fault. I feel like just as I've gotten older and busier, I don't have time to set things up and play with them and experiment as much. Like I used to love Automator and now on my Mac, it's just like whatever's out of the box, you know, maybe I'll like enjoy a new browser sometimes. But I, (laughs) I would like to think of myself as a person who would take the time to carefully set these up and enjoy them and have hot tips for people. But I'm not. I'm just making gifts all day long. <laughs> I mean, that's a good use of shortcuts. I'm on board with that. I have a, a gift making shortcut. Um, I use a handful. I've made a few here and there that are like a little bit more complex just because I wanted to see what the limits were. Um, and in earlier versions, I definitely ran into places where it's like, all right, okay, that just doesn't work. I can't do that at all. And as the Apple has in, in you know improved upon shortcuts, some of those limits have been lifted, which is cool. And I love the idea of it coming to the Mac. I think I'll get a lot of use out on the Mac because I do use some workflows and automator things on the Mac that are, it's always a struggle. I've always found automator just to be a challenge to get it to do what I want. And so as a result, some of the automator workflows that I've used most successfully are like super basic ones. Like, for example, if I, you know, often airdrop a photo from my iPhone onto my Mac, it ends up as a HEIC file. And it's like, I never want to share those. I want a JPEG. So I just have like a one line automator that like I right click and it converts it to a JPEG. Um, So like stuff like that, easy to do, great. But I think shortcuts has proved that like there's a lot of friendliness and a lot of power that you can do. And because it seems like Apple's actually committing to continuing to improve it and it's got like link-ins with shell scripting and Apple script and all that stuff, I think there's a lot of promise there. So I'm very excited about it on the Mac and I'm curious to see what of my iOS workflows I can bring over. Paul, why don't you wrap us up here? Sure. So yeah, I thought about this because I don't currently use shortcuts on iOS. I've played with it literally since it dated back. It was originally an app called Workflow, which was developed Mm -hmm. outside of Apple, and then Apple acquired it and built it into the OS. And I've literally just never had it stick. And Heather said something that resonated with me that I feel like I just don't have the time to to make this part of my workflow. Uh, I do use a bunch of automation. Micah mentioned, you know, stuff on the Mac like text, text expander, and I've got some automations in the home app, which, uh, things like, uh, if I'm away from home, it'll turn on some lights, uh, at night, just so it looks like somebody's home. Uh, so I'm, I'm totally on board with automation. I'm totally on board with, uh, you know, speeding things up without needing to do the same tedious thing over and over again. I just have yet to have shortcuts click for me. So I'll be interested to see what happens on the Mac and and if it becomes more useful for for things that I might do. All right, that's two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. We all like finding new podcasts to listen to. I get bored listening to the same old things all the time when I'm doing my dishes or out on my walks. Tech Talk is the show that talks through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovations. I listened to an episode where they talked to uh, somebody who works at Studio Lab at Walt Disney Studios about the advances that AI can help bring to the movie production business, including things like you know using AI and machine learning algorithms to identify pixel artifacts in films before they get pushed out for distribution, which I thought was, well, was very clever. And again, we just talked about automating things that you don't want to do. There are tedious tasks. That sounds like something a computer is well-suited to do. 
If you want to listen to, you can expect topics like how to tackle issues when it comes to high-performance computing, how cloud data experiences are changing, and supercomputing aboard the International Space Station. And the show takes you straight to the source, interviewing some seriously impressive tech leaders, including Dr. Michael Roberts from ISS U.S. National Lab, Sanjeev Katwa, the CTO of Tottenham Hotspur FC, and Monica Livingston from Intel. Check out Tech Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Tech Talk now or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, that is halftime. Micah, what do you got for us? I ask this question from time to time, and it is time again to bring it up. Uh, describe the last time something with tech, tech-related, uh, a gadget, um, whatever, something tech-related surprised and or delighted you. Heather? Well, okay, so yesterday I actually saw people in person, and that was fun and exciting and exhausting. Um, and uh, one of the people I was with has had two kids who were stuck at home, and she was out, and they're too young to have phones. And so what she had done is she had set up Echo Dots with drop-in to replace a home phone. So if she needs to reach them, she just is, like, dropping on my kids. And I thought that was, like, an ingenious solution to a problem um, I didn't know existed yet, but it makes sense. Like, you're not just going to give a kid to replace like an iPhone to replace a landline. And I, I just thought that was awesome. That really gave me a kick. That's cool. Um, I recently, I've been a long time Kindle user and I enjoy reading books in my ebook reader, but I decided on a whim a couple of weeks ago, seeing it was on sale to buy a Kobo book reader. And I really like it. I actually think it's better than the Kindle in a lot of ways. Um, in part, I think it's the screen is very pleasant. The typography, as I was reading it, it felt more like reading an actual book than my Kindle really did. Uh, and it's got this sort of, you know, true tone-ish feature where it adjusts the backlighting depending on the time of the day. So usually when I'm reading before I go to bed at night, it's like a warmer yellowy backlight as opposed to like a like a harsh blue backlight. And all in all, I just I found it a really pleasant experience, and it's got really great integration with um, OverDrive for getting stuff out of the library. So I'm I'm very pleased with it, and I'm excited to use it more to to read more books. Anything that gets me read more books, I think, is to the good. Paul, well, Dan, can I ask you? Does that reader read uh, Kindle books, or d- does it use a different format? I think it might use. I think it might be able to read EPUBs. I haven't tried. I've okay. only done it with the library book so far, but and you gotcha. can buy stuff obviously from their store. But I'm not sure what okay. other formats it reads. Because that's that's the you know the holdup on in terms of like trying a different reader is that if you've got a whole bunch of Kindle sure books. yeah anyway uh, so I, I thought this was a really interesting question because I, I it made me stop and think for a while because I don't feel like day to day that I'm ever blown away by something or or you know uh, so so maybe that says something about me I don't know but uh, I, I did think of uh, an app that I discovered just a couple months ago called Text Sniper. Uh, and I actually just talked about this on another podcast recently. It's basically a, a little screenshot tool, screenshot-like tool that you take a picture of some text and the text winds up on your clipboard. And it's very similar to what people have probably seen, the live text feature in iOS 15 and in uh, macOS 12. But it's here now and it works really well. Uh, I Prior to this, I was sort of vaguely aware that OCR, optical character recognition, was pretty good, but I had never seen any use case for it where... Uh, I could just easily call it up and, and grab some text and then and use it. And so I saw this app and I saw that it was like 10 bucks and I downloaded it and tried it out. And I said, you know what, this is actually really interesting. Uh, and it's something that I've used probably five, 10 times a day for the past couple months where before I never had this functionality at all. So it was something that uh, came out of nowhere and I was, I was really impressed with. And, and yeah, I've been delighted by it. Uh, I also use TechSniper and find it delightful. Uh, it's a really good tool. I hope I didn't um, steal your answer. Though. 
No, you didn't. Don't worry. Uh, mine is just being surprised and delighted by uh, the the different ways that someone can achieve something. Um, I was talking to my partner last night, and he was uh, he was trying to uh, figure out how to, or he was he, it wasn't even figuring out. He's done this a lot, and I finally asked him, "Can you just show me how you do this?" Um, and so he was. He had a, a character that he was thinking about getting some, he plays uh, games, video games, and he was thinking about getting them some new clothes. And uh, in order to show them both at the same time, he would have to, what I would call Photoshop, um, one photo where the the top is shown and one photo where the, the pants were shown together so that you could see the outfit together at the same time. And for me, I would literally go into Photoshop and do that if I needed to, take a photo of both of them and do that. Um, but time and time again, he will very quickly put together these images, these um, uh, you know composite images. And I've always wondered how he's doing it, because for me, it would take a while in Photoshop. And turns out he has basically turned Snapchat into his photoshopping tool because of its uh, ability to cut out objects inside of images. And so it's just delightful to see that you like the TikTok uh, folks who can edit video as they're creating video versus me who's old school and uses like Final Cut Pro to do it. I just love that there are multiple ways to do something and people find their own way and that it works for them. And sometimes it's frustratingly so much faster than the tools that you use and you're just kind of blown away by it. So yeah, that was very much a surprise and also a delight just to see that there are different ways of doing things. All righty, folks, let's move on to our final topic, which comes from Heather. All right. So yesterday, Twitter had like this little kerfuffle. It accidentally took away the chronological timeline for some users on, um, I believe, on desktops and or computers. And then people were really upset. And then it made me think, like, you know, we've had chronological timelines everywhere at first, and they're slowly taken away, and then we just accept it. Um, do we ever want, like, a completely algorithmic, like, social media experience? Normally, I would say no. And now there's, there's TikTok, which is all algorithm what is your preference? How do you want to consume your social media? I wonder how much of this is a generational thing. Maybe just people who are used to it and like have never seen the alternative think like, oh, that's great. Yeah, it works for me. Like people using TikTok who aren't using, haven't used other social media networks in the past. I, I, I assume there are people who want it because they keep doing it. And I can't, you know, help but think I don't want it. It's not the thing that I'm there for. I, the thing that I've always enjoyed about Twitter, and I do continue to enjoy Twitter, uh, is being able to see the you know what my friends are up to and the people I follow, like what they're thinking, what they're doing. And that has never been about the algorithm for me. I really could not care less what the algorithm wants to suggest to me at any given point. I find that frustrating. Uh, Instagram, too, is definitely one where it's like, I just want to see the pictures that my friends are posting. I find it annoying when I have to scroll back uh, and all of a sudden it's giving me like all these other pictures from people I don't follow. So I understand why the social media networks like it. I guess my question is, are there users who actually prefer to consume their their stuff that way? Because for me, I would choose the sort of reverse chronological order pretty much every single time. Well, I, you said something. I think you made a faulty assumption that they keep doing it because somebody do. likes it. I think they keep doing it because it's better for them. Uh, and, and you got to that at the end there. Basically, if you're using an algorithmic timeline, uh, you can insert ads, you can increase engagement. 
and keep people using whatever service you've got longer than they would where if you say, I follow 50 people and I want to see their photos and when I'm done, I'm done. And then you drop out of the app and you go do something else. That's not as good for Instagram because they don't get to show you as many ads. So I think, I, I think the, the, I would bet that the vast majority of people want a chronological timeline and we all put up with these algorithmic timelines and I hate them. And they have definitely made me use social media a whole lot less. Uh, I follow a very small number of people on Instagram. And so I can, you know, finish Instagram for the day uh, pretty quickly. And when I do, I'm just done and I drop out of it and, and that works. But on something like Facebook, you can't really do that anymore. You have to just scroll and scroll and scroll and still miss stuff. And so I don't even recall the last time I logged into Facebook and, you know, it just, it basically just scared me away. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what number of people are getting scared away the way I was and what number of people are engaging more the way I'm sure some big number of them are. But to me, the reverse chronological as a user is so much, so obviously superior that, uh, that it has to just be about money in terms of why they keep doing this. It's it's a kind of tough thing because um, I so so with a with a service that is always and has always been algorithmic. I think it's fantastic. So TikTok, as the example that you gave, Heather, that's a perfect one. Um, when I started, I was not expecting a chronological timeline, and it works how it does, and it's delightful that it seems to know what. I'm into. Um, and then for ones where, yeah, we started out with chronological timelines, I think that, you know, ultimately humans are not fond of change and want what they have had. And with something like Twitter, it does make sense to do the chronological timeline because that's kind of what we go to Twitter for. And many of us are, uh, or were, I'm, I no longer am, and I think uh, a lot of people aren't Twitter completionists, as they're so called, who read every tweet that's come since the last time they opened the app. Um, but all of that said, there you, we talk about the reason that they do this to keep people in the app. If that's the case, then it suggests that the algorithmic timeline must work because it does keep people in the app. If they're in the app for longer, then they're finding things that they're interested in. They're finding things that they're looking at. And so there's a reason they're staying in there. So it, while it is a business decision to increase engagement, engagement is increasing. Why is engagement increasing? Because people are paying attention to the things that are in the algorithmic timeline, except for the few of us who shout about it, who really are just like scrolling through to find the things that we're looking for. I think that on average, a person is seeing more that they're interested in that keeps them in the app that increases uh, activity in the app. So there's something to be said for the algorithm, even if it's something we don't like. Heather, what are your last thoughts here? I could not agree anymore on TikTok. Like it's just, it's like the bright tech spot in my pandemic. I want that algorithm to tell me what I should eat for <laughs> breakfast and do today. Like it just gets me. Um, Twitter, I, I just don't see how it works because it's a conversation and you can't have a conversation out of order. It's confusing. And so much of it is like real-time news, which is why we're all hooked into it all day. Um, I, I would find it sort of alienating if I had no other choice. And then I think about Facebook a lot because we've just given up the fight. <laughs> we, it's an algorithm. There's like a button you can press sometimes and it's not sticky and it just always reverts back. 
Um, and it's like this black box. We have no idea how they decide what we see, but there's some promise in it, right? Like what if, yeah, they used it for good and they pushed down misinformation. Um, but I mean, if you look at Facebook now, that's obviously not working because that's where all the misinformation is spreading. So I, I feel like it had some potential there that has just never been realized. Um, but also I think the end result is that Facebook doesn't feel real time anymore. And it used to, like, I would never go see a reaction to breaking news or something happening on Facebook. I would go see what happened last week to somebody's pet on Facebook. All right. That is our last topic. We got just enough time for a bonus topic, but before we do that, I want to tell you about this week's other sponsor discourse. Discourse was founded in 2013 by Jeff Atwood from stack overflow, Robin Ward and Sam Saffron. It's a powerful, flexible open source community platform where discussions are searchable, so you can find all the relevant details for your project. The platform is designed with moderation in mind, helping you keep this discussion on track and high value while minimizing the impact of trolls and spam, and it integrates with Zapier, Patreon, Memberful, and more. Uh, everybody likes internet communities. We're all part of a community here at Relay FM. We have our listeners. We have our members. It's fantastic to be able to communicate with so many people over long distances from all sorts of different backgrounds and different places. And the internet is the thing that brings us together. Discourse offers a 100% 14-day free trial. And after that, plans start at $100 per month. And the folks at Discourse are giving Clockwise listeners 50% off your first two months after you start your subscription. Just go to Discourse.org and use the coupon code RELAY2021 when signing up. That's discourse.org, code RELAY2021 when signing up for 50% off your first two months. And I also wanted to mention their new offering, Discourse for Teams. It's perfect for smaller teams or businesses looking to use Discourse to collaborate because it's a private, focused Discourse instance with added features, including a new sidebar, automatic icebreakers, team updates, and more to help teams work together more effectively. There isn't currently an offer code for the Teams offering, but plans start at $20 per month, and if you want to learn more about that, you can go to teams.discourse.com. Our thanks to Discourse for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, bonus topic. The uh, 4th of July is coming up here in the U.S., so I want to know, fireworks, yay or nay, Paul? I mean, I don't really know what this question means. <laughs> Do you like, like fireworks? Ju- July 4th fireworks, where you go and there's a big show? Absolutely. Fireworks, like, all of 2020, when it seems like that was how we were killing time in the pandemic at 1 in the morning, and I live in the city and hear dogs barking and freaking out and get woken up by this? No, definitely not. Um, when I lived in Missouri and growing up, we would go, as we would call it, I don't know if they call it that here, but we would go out to the country, which basically just meant out in the middle of nowhere, uh, farm land, uh, where my grandparents lived and uh, put on huge firework displays. And there's nobody around for miles, so you don't have to worry about disturbing people. So in those very particular situations, yay. But as a person with dogs who does not live in the middle of nowhere now, a very big nay. Uh, And that also comes from a horse. Um, Heather, what about you? I will agree with everybody. Yay on 4th of July. Nay the past four weeks when it's been 24-7 in the middle of a very flammable state right now. (laughs) Like not like a state of being, but like a literal state that's just waiting to catch on fire. Like maybe we wouldn't do it now. However, one more yay. I gave my kids those poppers, not the drug, the the fireworks. (laughs) And they have just been enjoying the heck out of those. So yay for those. Wait, Heather, do you mean like the snappers that you like just throw at the ground? Whippersnappers? As an adult, if you ever see a box of those, they're like 50 cents and it'll be the best 50 cents you can spend. A lot of (laughs) fun. Great things are always great. I thought you were talking about the champagne poppers. (laughs) And sometimes those ones will backfire and they burn your hand. And those are not fun. Oh, wow. Oh, and they let us Thanks. Uh, I, I like fireworks. I don't, 
I don't love going into a big crowd. I just, I don't know. It's the crowd more than the fireworks itself. But I do like, when I was a kid, we used to go to my uncle's place on a lake and they would have a, a lake of fire sometimes where people would put flares on their beach and you would make, it would like outline the lake and we'd set off a few fireworks. That was always fun. I sort of enjoyed that. And then I can like go, just go to bed without having to wrestle my way through huge crowds. Uh, all right. That is our show for today. All that remains is for us to thank our guests. Paul Cavazas, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And Heather Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime. And Michael will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>